Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank our sponsors for the second hour of today's show for making this show economically viable. They are Eurostar Gold Corp. and Liberty Silver Corp. Well, uh, we have Ilana Mercer with us, and, and joining me also is Barry Downs, who is, uh, was a very active uh, investor in uh, South Africa, I believe, during the apartheid era for sure, and, and possibly after that. We're going to ask Barry about that. But I want to pick up, uh, th- there's so much, folks, in the book, Into the Cannibal's Pot. And if you are a serious citizen and want to understand the dynamics of freedom and liberty and prosperity, then you've got to read this book. And if you don't care, you know, if you, if you just don't really give a rat's behind, then don't read it. I mean, just, just go with the flow, watch the Republican convention, uh, and, and, you know, um, smoke some dope, and I don't care, whatever you do, it doesn't matter, just, just have a party and don't care. But if you really care about liberty and freedom and what's actually going on, you've got to read this book. It's so deep, there's so much in it, I can't begin to, to do justice to it. We're only trying to expose it to you. And I thought it was good to have Alana back now, given this, uh, the incident uh, that took place a couple of weeks back in South Africa, the platinum mine, where uh, the police killed some 34 striking miners in South Africa. Uh, and here's what I understand about what took place. The miners went on strike um, at the uh, Marikana mine complex, 
and that's operated by Lomen, Lomen, Lonmen, that's a London-based company. And earlier in the week, before this incident took place, before the 34 strikers were killed, as Alana was saying earlier, there were 10 people were were killed, including two police officers. So the strike was declared illegal, and the police moved in to try to enforce the law. And the miners uh, reportedly were armed with machetes and spears and clubs, uh, assault assault rifles in some cases, and even pistols and assault assault uh, rifles. Started charging towards the police uh, who were there in for there to enforce the law and. Uh, the police mowed down some 34 people. They were killed, and a, a, twice that many people were injured. Uh, but, you know, I saw this video. I saw a replay of the video on uh, on the Internet. And, uh, I mean, these were people that were charging at the policemen, as, as it looked. I mean, it wasn't like uh, some peaceful protest or some peaceful mine shutdown. These were people that were going to go right after the cops. So if I were a cop, I mean, I could understand why I would have to you know, would have to fire my weapon. Um, but Alana, let me ask you: Do I have, as you understand this incident, do I have, do I have the facts right? Well, we are only getting what is filtered through uh, the press, and and um, those are the facts we have. Now comes the unverified news, and uh, reported as unsourced that strikers were in fact shot in the back. Um, now I know nothing about the forensics involved or the dynamics of crowd control. Um, but I have to wonder, does this rumor change the fact that the 3,000 striking workers had gathered at the mine site, were squatting there, uh, were terrorizing mine operators and owners? Does it change that fact? Does it change the fact that our innocent strikers told reporters, um, I think it was time in particular, that they would not return to work until their wages were doubled, given mm-hmm. their productivity, that is a very odd demand, and they would kill any scab who stepped in to do the job. Now, um, those those are the facts that I know. Those are the facts that you have as well. In addition to, and, uh, uh, <clears throat> I'd like to I'd like to welcome Barry Downs, uh, who was a, a, an investor during the bar, apartheid era and uh, a, a fairly major one with his clients uh, in New York City, where he worked as a stockbroker. Welcome, Barry. Yes, Jay. Barry, do you have anything to add to what Alana just well, said? Yes, I, I just, just wanted to comment that the, that the National Union of Mine Workers goes back to 1982 when, when they were formed. And when, when they were al- allowed to form, organize, that basically marked the beginning of the end of apartheid because uh, they would strike, they, they were in a constant battle with mine management. Uh, I think uh, there are about 300,000 members now and of course it was all downhill and and uh, uh, the the mining companies gave in and gave in and gave in for for no increase in productivity of course it was during a, a bad period of time I mean that, that 1980 to 2000 period for gold was just the pits so the National Union of Mine Workers really uh, kicked off the the uh, uh, the move to majority rule, and um, I started going out to South Africa in, in uh, 1975, and of course gold had had uh, topped out at at one point they were mining a thousand tons. That's the largest mm-hmm. largest uh, um, gold fields in the world on on the Witwatersrand. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, after 1994, uh, after 
the election, uh, production started to, to really fall. It got down to 522 tons uh, by uh, by 2006. It was 275 tons by 2009. It was down to 204,000 tons, and and uh, uh, some some of that was uh, political. Uh, the the miners uh, had uh, had much more power. They were they were they were they were mostly ANC, COSA. The interesting thing is is that right now, South Africa gold reserves. It's incredible. Still after after all of this mining, after over a hundred years of mining, because they started mining in 1886, mm. they've still got 40,000 mm. tons. In reserve, that's 1.3 billion ounces. That's still 50 percent of the gold. Unbelievable. Okay, Barry. So what you're saying is that there's still lots of gold left in South Africa, but the time frame that you're talking about here, from 1982 to 2000 or so, when the miners gained power, was exactly the wrong time for a union uh, to gain power, in a sense, because the economics, the global economics, as you and I know so well. Uh, was right. abysmal. I mean, you're right. talking about uh, numbers of production that went down very dramatically during this time frame. But the same could be said of uh, North American mine production as mm-hmm. well. And, uh, gold yeah. production around the world suffered greatly because of the, I think, the suppressed price of gold. But a, That's right. a, a, a bear market in the gold in the gold right. sector. So one of the big questions that I have in my mind, and I look to both of you to help answer that, is to what extent, uh, you know, do, do sort of these natural economic laws feed into the lack to the loss of production because Barry we know that some of South Africa's mines go very very deep yes. and the deeper you you go the more complex the engineering gets the rock mechanics right. uh, it gets more complicated also in, and costly to cool the mines so people can work down there because the temperatures get extremely hot the deeper you go right. and and you know so that you had then the macroeconomic conditions all of those things uh, if the if the South Africans were gaining power in the unions and the ANC was gaining power at that time, uh, then it was the very worst time for the industry. It was uh, it was bound to, to shut and, it down. So, to, I mean, to and, what extent, and, Barry, do you think that the unions and increased power? I mean, it's hard probably to quantify this, but to what extent do you think the unions were responsible for this, uh, and the political changes in South Africa were responsible for the decline uh, in production? Well, it, 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 it's a combination, Jay, because, uh, because they are down at great depths. But the South African uh, mining industry, the best geologists in the world, the best mining uh, engineers, the best metallurgists, I mean, Mintech, the finest metallurgical firm in the world. Well, for sure. I know them well, yeah. That, um, uh, that, that, that have made uh, major advances in mining. So, Mm-hmm. Yes, they were going deeper and deeper. I mean, you, you get a mine like Western Deep Levels. I've been down in it. I mean, it's like eleven thousand feet. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to ask uh, you know both of you this, but one of the comments that I saw in the Financial Times recently was that the the black people are very angry because they still think that it's that it's sort of white dominated. There's too many white people mm-hmm. working the mines now. One of the things that I would you know, I would I would think is that, uh, and, and one of the things, the tragedies I think of of what happened in in Africa, in my mind, in South Africa, is that uh, is is that blacks were not necessarily given the opportunity to become educated and to take roles because mm-hmm. mining is very complex, as you yeah, point you out. In South Africa, the best of the mining engineers, the and and so 
you know, to, it, it seems to me, Alana, if I understood what your father would have proposed, would have been to, to help the black people become educated and, and merge them into the society without turning the whole thing over to them immediately. Is that, is that a correct? Well, no, that's extrapolation, my friend. No, there's nothing about my father's uh, plans. Most, mostly it, it, um, the book is, is, about, um, is not about my father's ideology, except he's, uh, I, I, I do expound on his Hebrew beliefs, his biblical sure. beliefs. But I, I, it was fascinating to hear what, um, what our guest says about mining near the surface, which obviously costs less. Um, and, you know, in the 90s, you would pass many a Johannesburg mine that had been retired, and they were uh, distinguished by the towering piles of slime dam waste that even those were being, um, were being um, mined for, for yields. Um, but more crucially, the, the, as detailed in my book, South Africa is being dismantled by official racial socialism, um, as well as obscene levels of crime and lawlessness, uh, organized and disorganized. So the other problem is that most emigres, and I think there have been a, about one million whites have left the country, um, including yours, yours truly, most emigres are skilled white men. Uh, most mining engineers are men, white exactly. older men. Exactly. So there's the other part of the, of the puzzle that Barry, no doubt, would confirm, uh, since, since he provides fascinating detail about the, the industry. Um, and the average age of a professional in the, in the, in the, in the industry is quite old. Mm-hmm. Um, majority population is not replenishing their ranks. Um, Consider, too, that as I, as I say in the book, barely 1% of black high school students pass high-grade high math, and very few opt for tough subjects at uh, university, such as science or um, engineering. And so you see the backdrop to the decline of gold mining. Um, another thing uh, also in the book is black economic empowerment. Yes. All enterprises, public and private, must make their workforce, um, I think, demographically representative of the country's uh, racial profile. Right. I believe that has to be in place, uh, what is it, Barry, by 2014? Yes, um, they, they, the uh, government in 2002 enacted that Minerals and Petroleum Resources Development Act, which mm. really gives, gives the government the rights to the mines. Yes, and if you, of course, you wouldn't have seen this on our networks, but if you watched a world-class news channel, Al Jazeera, um, you would have seen um, a very interesting discussion uh, with two hosts, um, leaders in the mining industry. One was a young analyst, of course, who who pretty much timidly echoed what we are saying, uh, fearful for his life, no doubt. The other was a, ma- a man I mentioned in the cannibal as uh, the aptly named Mr. Peter Craven, um, a mega union bo- boss who was calling for nationalization of the mining yeah. In- yeah. industry. Yeah. And why not? Was this not promised under the original ANC manifesto, approved by that godhead Mandela? Of course it was. Uh-huh. So yeah. piecemeal, this is where they're going. It's incredible because South African mining accounts for a fifth of its gross domestic product. Mm. And the industry has has ongoing public debates about nationalizing the mines. Mm. Uh, So all that gold that remains Mm. and platinum, it could be that it will will never come out of the ground because they, 
they basically are killing the goose that has laid the golden egg. And if I could add, during the time I was going out to South Africa from 75 through my, my last trip was out there in 90, uh, 96, uh, all the blacks from, from, uh, from, from Lesotho and Malawi and so forth, they were, uh, they had the best jobs in the world that they could get on the mines. Uh, uh, they were clamoring to, uh, to get on the mines, and, and, and I would go through and I'd see these recruits coming in mm. out in the bush. They had never seen blankets or, or pillows or anything like that. It, it was an incredible sight, and they, they, they would earn a wage enough to support their families back in their homelands, and this was during the apartheid period. Look, as we know, uh, wages are determined by supply and demand and productivity. That's right. And as such, um, I think they're at about 600 per, an, uh, per, per month, which um, is an enormous amount in, in South Africa. And they, uh, if it goes up to the demanded 1,500, we know what will happen to the, to the mines okay. as they are already unproductive and, um, and, and distressed. And, you know, if the mines want to engage in any prospecting whatsoever, while they're not yet nationalized, they're close to it. Ah. They have to part with a chunk of property by taking on a black partner. Um, right. You know, private companies operating in, in SA can't win government contracts if they are not co-owned by blacks. And, in fact, this is where the union dynamic is very interesting because the Lonman Platinum Mine is caught between two union factions. Um, they've had to accommodate the NAM, as you mentioned, the, was it the National Union of Mine Workers? Right, right. Um, one representative is on uh, its board of directors, directors as a condition of operation. And NAM, of course, is, is an arm of the ANC. That's right. Um, so right. It's, it's a factionalized, tribalized, um, if you think our unions are a form of legalized thuggery, this has got an added twist um, they operate on the extractive principle of politics, and they can best be compared to a militia in, in the South African context. I had a question, I had a question. What has happened to the Zulus? I mean, I remember mm. uh, uh, Butelezi was a, was, a, was a big calming force. I mean, there's 10 to 11 million Zulus and only 8 million Costa. What has happened to the Zulus? Oh, what a good question. I do address that with, with a great deal of emotion, I think, in the book. Uh, Butha Lezi uh, was certainly a hero to free marketers. Yeah. And um, a, a very admirable man, certainly a parochial uh, tri a tribal chief who wanted, um, he wanted a, a confederation as we had. Yeah. Um, under the Articles of Confederation before the Constitution, that's what he wanted, with extreme autonomy for the Zulu people. Um, he got nothing. He got vilified. This is expounded upon in my book, yeah. um, The Cannibal, as you know. Yes. He got vilified by um, that, uh, that um, um, Pravda, Pravda, American Pravda, the New York Times. Yeah. Um, and he got uh, sidetracked. And in fact, even thinkers, uh, classical liberal thinkers, because um, South African liberalism was was really much more classical liberalism than the left liberalism that we labor under in the, in the U.S. Even thinkers like uh, Francel Slabert, um, who died recently, spoke and wrote extensively about a uh, 
decentralized system for South Africa. And Butelezi was a proponent, very educated man, understood free markets, and of course he didn't appeal to the um, to, to the West as did the ANC. That's right. Yeah, I, very sad, very you know, sad. And and it's a, I mean he he's still alive. He can't be happy with a genocide going on against ethnic ethnic Afrikaners. I mean. Uh, you 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 hear nothing out of him. Mm-hmm. Well, um, what can he do? I don't know. I I, I know he's still alive, but in Natal especially, um, his his um, his ancestors gave uh, large tracts of land to to white settlers, whom they favoured, and and of course the the, the white settlers uh, of Natal were extremely were an interesting lot, and, and they did, um, you know, make interesting ties with the Zulus, and the Zulu kings gave them the land that is now being robbed by the ANC and and and, and by the Corsa. And, and yeah. yeah, that's also spoken about in the book. Um, the missions um, in Natal, Port Natal, they would shield um, tribal refugees from... from the tribal uh, depredations of the likes of Zoo, of uh, Shakam and and um, and his successor uh, Sechweo. Um, that that's a very sad part of of uh, African history that we don't South African history we, we don't the West refuses to see it in anything but oh, the the uh, West, Korsa, West uh, the ANC no. they don't see it as as uh, they don't look at the other ethnic uh, minority the Zulus that were dispossessed. And, of you course, know, the Zulus now become politicized. You know, I, I would like to ask uh, Alana and Barry what your thoughts are with respect to uh, going back to the apartheid era. Uh, if you had a, a hard-working uh, miner uh, who wanted to educate himself, was it possible to uh, was it possible for him to uh, to get the education he needed to become, say, a mining engineer or a geologist or somebody that could have Got a black man that might have been able to get a a high paying job uh, with these higher skill levels in South Africa during apartheid. Alana, you know uh, that's also you, you, Jay. You, you ask very complicated questions. There's no <laughs> doubt that there were problems. Um, no one is trying to gloss that over. But I do have an anecdote, and I think that will speak to your listeners. Uh, my husband, who who used to work for. Um, uh, who, who's a PhD in electrical engineering, graduated mm-hmm. from Cape Town at age 23, um, had mentored a, a very talented, uh, one of the few, there were about five um, masters in, in, in electrical engineering um, at the time before we emigrated, and he mentored him and wrote papers with him um, with, this, with this black gentleman, um, during that time, just before the the um, ramp up to democracy, and he was ex- heartbroken to to hear that uh, this this gentleman was traveling to see his mother in a in a in a second hand car, and he was killed. Um, he stopped for for he stopped for a, uh, a hitchhiker, and he was murdered. So oh, that was horrible. one of the the highly educated individuals that was promoted through the system. Uh, uh-huh. That's my so- little anecdote, gentlemen. I'm a skedaddle. Yeah, you know, it's it's a uh, it's a tragedy. I mean, uh, here's a person that could, could have worked uh, very difficult. Of course, it's uh, uh, very complex issues about how people can rise from the from the depths of despair to something uh, that is more 
uh, honorable and, and progressive. But, uh, Barry, any insights into that from your perspective? Well, a, a black African working on the mines uh, that could move up from a underground laborer um, to uh, to uh, 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 a school like like the Vic Waters ran school of mining and so anything was possible but it wasn't probable. Yeah, uh, the, right. The cream of the of the crop of the whites of the English speaking uh, uh, South Africans uh, gen- generally ended up in those jobs. Some some Afrikaners, but but a lot of English speaking. Yeah. And, yes, well, but, uh, but it was meritocratic, so it was yeah, a very harsh system. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Uh, but but the 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 uh, sorry sorry thing is that really and truly under apartheid, although apartheid morally was 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 wrong, I don't think any anyone would would agree that it that it had any merits. But the black African had a better way of life under apartheid, and. Um, uh, now it, it's 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 majority rule. It was one man, one vote. Uh, all of us that could see it coming. Um, I thought that that the Zulus might might amalgamate with the Afrikaners and save the day, but that didn't happen. And of course, Mandela was the was the uh, uh, the king of of uh, of the uh, downtrodden masses. He was released. From prison, uh, F.W. De Klerk made trips over here and over here. I mean, he he sold out the the Afrikaners. Uh, basically, it was a it was a catastrophe. And and uh, af- after going out to South Africa for years and years, I think I've been out there like 18 times. After the election, or or, or just prior to the election, I sold everything. Mm. All yeah. all the South African mining shares. I had huge positions in ESCOM, uh, ESCOM bonds. Uh, they had the financial RAND under apartheid that uh, sold at a discount to the commercial RAND. So you could buy, foreigners could, could buy these South African AAA bonds, one of the finest mm-hmm. utility companies in the world, at yields of 36%. Yeah, I remember that well, Barry. And you had a lot of your clients in that, didn't you? Yeah, they... they they bought through the financial rent and got the dividends paid through the commercial rent. So, yeah. I mean, it was a fabulous period of time. Uh, uh, but uh, but uh, the majority, the the world demanded that the majority rule that country, and it was inevitable. And uh, it's a great tragedy. The, the worst, the worst of the tragedy, I'm afraid, is ahead, because yes. Because yeah. when, when when this world goes into a deep deep depression, those black Africans will 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 perish, uh, like like an evaporating drop of rain out here in Reno in July. Oh, oh Barry, well, we're uh, going to have to go to a break of... pretty soon, and and I would like to have you come back um, uh, for a few minutes to talk about uh, uh, the deflationary environment that you and I both believe we're in, and uh, right, that's okay. another topic, but. Alana, um, um, just, I, just uh, let, let me interject just about sure. the, the issue of democracy, which I elaborate on in the book. Um, it's more important, as much as people, our founders, were not, as I point out in the book, were not in support of democracy. Um, what has happened here is if you are going to support democracy, um, South Africa's moved to one-party rule. The mm-hmm. ANC will forever be 
in power. And democracy is predicated on the fact that um, the division should not be riven along, um, party divisions should not be riven along racial lines as they are now. Mm-hmm. It will forever be a country dominated by one party which represents a racial majority. So think about that. That is tyranny. And we are here in the U.S. moving to a dominant party system. Absolutely. As as we import more and more welfare-dependent immigrants, which is what we are doing, one party, a dominant party, will will dominate the political discourse and scene. And this is also another point I make in the book. Well, this is, uh, there's no doubt that that's happening. Rule. The two parties are, are very different, are very, not very different at all. Uh, and I would argue that uh, basically we have a one-party system ready, but that's another topic. We're going to be talking to Jeff Dice, well, Ron Paul's keep, chief of staff leader up. in the show, at the yeah. end of today's show, and I'm sure he, he certainly feels that way. But, uh, you know, when you look at the major policies, uh, there isn't a whole lot of difference. Alana, no. um, you talked about the blame game, and, and, I, and I don't have the quote here exactly, but it was an excellent quote from you in the book about how... Uh, if there's one way you're never, never going to get out of your current malaise or your current difficulty and move forward and make a better life, it's, it's to sit around and blame other people for your problems. Um, are we doing that in America more and more? I cannot remember where I spoke about the blame game. Um, well, it wasn't exactly the terminology, but you talked uh, about, I think, about... Um, uh, you know, in South Africa, essentially, uh, that that's people are, are sitting around basically blaming others. Oh, oh for their... the, the uh, therapeutic mentality where uh, it's never my my fault. The dog exactly. ate my homework, and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, the, the, I do have to uh, run, um, Jay, but the, the um, under the root causes uh, racket, I do expound on, on um, the therapeutic philosophy that undergirds our society, where nothing is the fault of the individual, and there is um, no responsibility the, in- the individual has to incur. And and you can see that. You can see that in the president's um, "you didn't do that" comment. We did it. The government yep. did it. Um, and you can see that in 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 the movement towards a welfare um, society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it, it is not, uh, I mean, we want to, we want to try to present a positive view of things, and it's, it's difficult at times. I mean, I think, uh, you know, how do we move to something better? And, you know, we're, we're looking at, at the direction of things in this country, and, uh, certainly, I know one of the issues that you brought out, and we don't have time now because we do have to go to break, but, uh, we'll have to have you back again, Alana, to talk about more uh, in this book. But one of the issues uh, you did talk about was the uh, the issue of uh, Christianity in America and uh, the role that that played in a, in a way, both positive and negative, I think, in, in some ways. But the whole notion of uh, in the post-reform, uh, post-Luther era, in terms of the way uh, uh, people looked to God or a Judeo-Christian concept of God, and if you don't have God, in essence, uh, you have to rely on Caesar. So it gave it gives people some sense of uh, of some answer other than mankind, I suppose, and uh, and that was an issue I thought as I was reading, looking over parts of your book, I thought was very interesting. Well, we'll definitely have to pick that up, pick that up that theme up uh, um, next week, maybe. It's it's very interesting, a very interesting Zero concept, in on that, unfortunately. On the faith issue, because I see that really interests you in the book. 
some other time, uh, we'd like to have you on and talk some more about that, perhaps, Alana. We do have to go to a break. And Barry, could you stay with me? I want to talk to you a little bit about the, uh, about this whole deflationary issue that you and I, uh, feel so strongly about. Right. Could you stay with me for a few more minutes? I will, Jay, sure. Thank you, Alana, for being with me, uh, with us and, and uh, talking to us, uh, again. Uh, we do want to have you on again sometime in the not too distant future if you're willing to come on because you, you have so many insights, I think, that are valuable and apropos to uh, Americans today. Folks, don't go away. We'll be right back with Barry Downs. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. 
Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I've got with me uh, Barry Downs is back uh, after our discussion with Alana Mercer. And Jeff Dice is, uh, is with us as well, and uh, we'll be talking to Jeff either in this segment or in the final segment about the Republican uh, convention and uh, his boss's role uh, in that convention uh, at this point in time. We, uh, we hope uh, it is greater rather than lesser, but uh, knowing the way things work in, uh, in current American politics, I, uh, I'm always skeptical, but we'll, we'll hear what, uh, what Jeff has to say. Well, Barry, I'd like to talk to you a little bit now about, um, about the, the American economic scene, and you are one of the most staunch deflationists that I know, uh, having been uh, having learned and spent time with your father-in-law, the great John Exter, the central banker, um, wh- what, how are you seeing things now? I'm looking around. I'm seeing uh, reports that China is probably much weaker than we are being told in the press. Certainly, much weaker than what the Chinese are saying. Europe is a disaster. Uh, we're we're always getting a lot of happy talk in, um, in the American uh, in, in the American uh, media about uh, now the housing market uh, situation is getting better and all of that. Uh, what's your read on on this inflation deflation argument at this time, Barry? Well, I I find it fascinating to to see what's happened to the Baltic Dry Index. Yeah, I mean it it just collapsed, and I mean this this is this is this is something that can't be manipulated. There's no derivative against it. It's 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 what what a shipper will pay a a bulk carrier to move dry cargo, iron ore. Uh, tin, bauxite, etc. I mean, it right. has just collapsed, and I would say that the majority of that is is uh, representing a big drop off in in the uh, Chinese economy. I mean, they they must be they they must be dropping their 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 uh, replenishments of raw materials just uh, in in an unprecedented way. So uh, that was a was a big big. Uh, red flag, but I watch the U.S. economy, which of course is a debt-based, debt-driven economy. It needs a credit expansion to uh, create GDP and create jobs. And when uh, when uh, total personal debt that was 17 trillion a years uh, uh, just just uh, a couple years ago is now 15.7 trillion, it's just a clear sign that. That households uh, households are cleaning up their balance sheet. They're 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 pulling in their horns. They're trying to pay their debts down. Of course, mortgage debt uh, is 13 trillion. That's dropping. Uh, this is very deflationary, and this this is the reason why the U.S. economy, which is consumer driven, is just lethargic. Yeah, and well, and and there's no economic policy. That can do anything about it. The uh, Keynesians have tried their stimulus. Uh, that hasn't worked. That's got just a putter. Uh, the supply siders, the, re- the Republicans, uh, that that principle is bankrupt. So, this I think this is just a long natural process that has begun. There, there will be a, a regression to the mean uh, and 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 low. Uh, uh, Lower standards of living gradually down. Um, certainly, no no hope of of creating jobs for the for the unemployed, and of course the new newly graduated college students with hopes for a career and 
and, and the American dream and everything, of course, that's, that is going to be dulled down. So these are, these are definitely deflationary forces, and it's going on all over the world, Jay. Yeah. I mean... Well, it is, Barry, and I'm looking at a report that I get from an economist out of Hong Kong. Uh, he's saying China uh, inventories and sales, how is this not a recession? Yeah. Uh, it says in Bloomberg News, a story from last week entitled, Caterpillar Cuts China Production as Digger Slump Reaches Mining. That's right. Uh, the sales manager at a construction machinery company was quoted as saying, life is difficult. Every client is cutting production. Yeah. Equipment makers and analysts talk of a 25 to 30% fall in sales this year. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, the, the Baltic Dry Index, and uh, Richard Russell talks about the, uh, is talking about, you know, his, uh, his Dow theory uh, has given him a bear market sign for, uh, for you know, for the equity market, and he's talking about, in essence, the uh, the transports uh, are lagging, and and neither the neither the Dow or the transports can get through their May highs. But it seems to me, Barry, you talked about the Baltic Index. That is really, and you look at transportation. If things are not being shipped, that's right. Uh, obviously, uh, commerce is not flowing, right? That's right. And and the phenomena that blows my mind, Jay is that every central bank in the world is pushing on a string. And they're printing money like mad, but it is money like on mad. It goes into M2 money supply. It goes into the stock market. It creates the illusion of, of something happening. Um, uh, but every central, bank, every central bank is pushing on a string. They're making reserves available, and they don't have the loan demand. Yeah. Well, it seems to me that we've reached that sort of limit. There's got to be a, a, a limit, as there is in you know in engineering uh, physics. There's there's some limit to how much debt you can take on, and I don't see where the uh, where the income is to, to satisfy that. I show in my talks very frequently this exponential growth in debt, total debt in the United States, which is just you know all sectors of the economy, and the and the income level, if it's growing at all, if you believe the government's numbers, is two percent, one and a half percent GDP, something like that. So it seems to me that we're on a um, uh, that we're on a uh, you know uh, we're nearing the end of something. Now, when I talk to uh, to Congressman Paul in the past, he's more on the deflation side. And uh, and if Jeff, I don't know if Jeff is here, uh, Jeff, you any thoughts on this? Because I know that your boss Ron is a as is an inflationist, and I often have asked him or have asked him on occasion about it. Uh, his belief is that the wherewithal is there to get money into the hands of those consumers that Barry is talking about. Are you any thoughts on, on this topic? Well, it's a bizarre time in our history because we've never had – we've had uh, – we certainly had boom and bust cycles, and we've certainly had boom and bust cycles historically that were caused by central banks uh, overinflating the money supply. Right. But what we've never had – is such on such a grand scale where we've got different central banks worldwide all doing it at the same time. We've never had it on such a scale where the deflationary pressures on the on the private side, individuals and businesses is so great. So if you keep inflating on the government side of the balance sheet or the or the central bank side of the balance sheets, and you keep deflating on the private side of the balance sheets, um, Jay, you're going to have to get a smarter guest than myself. To, uh, to tell know, you what happens it, next. <laughs> yeah, well, what it well, happens down in my to... view, and I'm not very smart, but what it seems to me is happening is that you're having government grabbing the economy in essence, and uh, or government and its friends, uh, which uh, you know some people call crony cra- or uh, crony capitalism or uh, 
uh, you know, capitalism is a term that's been coined by one of our guests recently, uh, who writes for Barons. But um, it 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 uh, it is certainly trying times, and of course, this is why I think that Ron Paul's uh, popularity has been on the rise. And uh, we do have to go to a break in a couple of minutes, and I want to ask you, Jeff, a little bit more about Ron Paul and his uh, plans for the future. But uh, Barry, any any ideas, uh, anything you'd like to add here with respect to where do you see the do you see a, a major decline in the equity markets ahead? I, I would see it. I would see it baked in the cake, Jay. And I mean, we're we're at a point where. Where, where the, where central banks cannot make lenders lend and borrowers borrow. And, yeah. and, and, and that's the, that's the proverbial, you know, that, that old saying, SOL. Yeah. But see that the idea, of course, the Keynesian notion is that you just print the money and give it to the masses. And here's what I would also say is that if Obama's a Keynesian, he hasn't been a very good one. Well, because exactly. frankly, although, although we are spending huge amounts of money, uh, certainly we are, but it seems to me the money that's being spent is going to that top 1% primarily that the, uh, that, that people complain about, and it's not getting into the hands of the masses. So it, it seems to me that if no we had a real... Your money. They, they, why, why is he not... Uh, you know, and, and Dr. Paul, Ron Paul, has talked about, well, yes, but we have the mechanics in place to get the money to the masses. And I'm saying to myself, yes, but the people that control our system... Don't give a rat's behind about the average people either. So uh, I don't know, Barry. I still have to come down on the deflation side of this. Uh, this I, deflation, I have deflation to. Argument. It may end up, Jay, that uh, olive drab color army trucks every other day uh, stop at the at the end of our driveways and throw out bundles of thousand dollar bills. Yeah. And well, and then yeah, because I can't see how they can get an inflation going. Well, that's, I know you and I are of that mind, and yeah. there are other people, Peter Schiff for sure, and, and Ron Paul uh, is on the inflation side. But whatever you think of, of uh, whatever, agree or disagree with Ron Paul, one thing that we, I think, uh, that all three of us would agree with is that Ron is a, is a libertarian and he, and he cares about people. I, I love to see this talk about a gold standard. I love to see, uh, see this become uh, Part of the Republican platform. Well, I think that uh, a gold standard that's mandated uh, is one thing, but Ron Paul's idea, as I understand it, and we'll be talking to Jeff after the commercial break yeah. about this, but Ron Paul's idea is that we would have uh, let the people decide and let gold uh, become money if, if people so desire, let it compete with the, uh, with the U.S. dollar. We do have to go to a break now, and when we come back, uh, I'll be with uh, Jeff Dice. We'll talk about uh, Ron Paul and his uh, and the uh, Gold Commission, and uh, and also uh, I'll talk a little bit about next week's guest. So don't go away. We'll be right back. I will sign off, Jay. Is that okay? Okay, Barry. Okay. Awfully nice being on the program. Okay. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. 
Eurasian Minerals. Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me, uh, sticking around uh, for a few more minutes, Jeff Dice. He's Ron Paul's chief of staff. Jeff's been with us a number of times. Uh, welcome, Jeff. I'm glad that you could stay with us a little longer. Uh, Ron Paul, uh, will he be speaking at the Republican Convention? And uh, I think that's a tremendous shame. I think he absolutely should uh, be given a prominent role, a uh, speaking role at the convention is essentially, Jay, the guy who came in second uh, to the presumptive nominee, Mr. Romney. Right. If you look at all the, the votes, and, and honestly, it seems to me that uh, probably he was robbed of a lot of votes in many ways because he, uh, his true popularity was not allowed to shine through. And I'm, you know, there was never allowed to be a sort of a... Um, a momentum uh, for Ron to take place. It would seem to be thwarted at almost every level. Um, uh, what about, so So uh, Rand will be giving a talk. Yes, Senator Paul. Uh, Senator Paul. Uh, so there's this talk of a gold commission that's going to be uh, put in place. I guess that presumes that Romney is nominated. Right. Or that's is, is elected. That the, the Republicans put in their platform is something Romney and his people have been talking about is having sort of a, a another uh, metals commission to uh, talk about some you know to to view review some kind of metal standard for the US dollar uh in the in the in the Romney administration next year if if he was to win I see and uh so not necessarily a precious metals but some sort of a metals uh, well thing. we've had a we've had some precedent for this um you know in the in the early 80s under Reagan with a a, a com- commission U.S. Gold Commission that uh, Congressman Paul was a part of when uh, Reagan was president, and obviously Lewis Lerman was was part of that as well. Yeah, and um, I'm wondering, because I remember very well that commission, uh, it seemed to me that it was sort of uh, maybe just a window-dressing thing. Do you think that this is being offered to Ron Paul's supporters to try to to gather some support from them uh, to vote for Romney? Well, perhaps, uh, and I don't see anything wrong with that. I mean, what what's really... Huge here is the fact that Ron Paul 
in in large part, not exclusively, Ron, but but in large part through his efforts, uh, you know, monetary policy generally, and and fiat currency more specifically, has been brought to the forefront of American politics. I mean, Jay, this used to be considered a boring, wonkish issue in Washington. Yeah. For yeah. Uh, you know, econ- you know, boring, uh, tenured economists to talk about all all day over at Treasury or something. When in reality, it affects every American much more than than most of the fiscal tax regulatory policy that they that people obsess about all day in Congress. So Absolutely. it's really a huge coup de Ron, and and it's you know that that the Republicans are standing up, taking notice, making this part of the platform shows that they're responding to the populist pressure out there. Right. Because politics tends to follow the public, not lead. So the, the bottom line is that whether the average American guy sort of understands, you know, uh, fiat currencies and the Fed and monetary policy or whether they, they really don't, either way they have a, a, a serious feeling of unease about their savings and about the purchasing power of their dollars because, you know, they go to the grocery, they buy gas, um, they get their 401k statements, etc. So, you know, people know that something's wrong. They might not necessarily uh, know the, the answer, at least the answer from an Austrian perspective, but yeah. uh, we're definitely making progress. Well, the biggest question I have in my mind with respect to a commission, uh, because I remember the last one was stacked, the deck was stacked against a positive recommendation for a gold-backed currency. Uh, you know, Anna Schwartz and Milton Friedman selected a bunch of bankers Will uh, will Ron Paul have anything to say? Will he be involved, uh, perhaps uh, chairing this committee? Is that possible? Well, or will he really have anything to say about who is on the committee? Uh, uh, we, we, all we know is that the the Republican Party has put something into their platform calling this. So we don't even know any specifics beyond that. Obviously, Mr. Romney would have to win, and uh, I would hope that Mr. Romney would consider Ron Paul for the commission. But even that, of course, we wouldn't know for sure. Yeah. Um, but you know well, anything that Ron Paul would be involved in, he would he would try to appoint, uh, you know, hardcore Austrian uh, economists to sure, to make sure, sure that that viewpoint gets out there and that um, any kind of commission doesn't get swamped by sort of the same old uh, monetarist supply side Chicago school that right. didn't work. I mean that's the oh. school of Dick Cheney that says you know deficits don't matter right um, right right so well, screw them as we just talked with Barry are about to wreck us and throw us into global bankruptcy so they do matter obviously you and I know that uh, many of the people who listen to this show know that I'm sorry we're out of time I would Ron Paul is going to have an active life I'm sure uh, going forward uh, I've got 30 seconds what do you think he's going to do Jay, I think he's going to do a lot of things. I think he's going to travel around the country and speak, especially to younger people. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to continue to operate his C4 organization. I think he's going to uh, continue to write books. And uh, I think he's going to do what he's always done, which is basically be an amazingly energetic guy who plugs away from about 6 in the morning till about 10 at night. He is uh, amazing. He is amazing. Jeff, we've got to go. That's all the time i got. We'll have you back again sometime soon. Folks, next week we've got Peter Grandich, and the gold markets are rigged. Yes, I believe they are. And Peter's going to point out John Nadler's track record. John Nadler is the anti-gold guy. That is the establishment guy that is always bad-mouthing gold and anybody who believes that gold should be part of our monetary system. So you're not going to miss Peter Grandich next week. Thanks to Tacey Trump, my producer, and Justin Jackman, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. 
please join us again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll be right back.